if anyone who's listening to this ever can take one thing away, it's please involve your community. And and as a first time mom, I remember personally, I wanted to do things I didn't want. I wanted to like do it myself. I can be the mom. I see these strong women everywhere who can work and 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 have, be a stay at home mom or and be a mother and and all these things. And you know, pregnancy, labor and delivery, you are both at your strongest and at your weakest. And even if you feel really good, you can easily overextend yourself. And so it's so important, even in those moments where you feel like you don't need help in the first five, six, eight weeks after having a baby, allowing for others to come in and be a part of your community will just give you a great, firm foundation for mothering. Welcome to the Nourished and Nurturing podcast, where we empower the women who are supporting their families. Our goal is to educate on real food, raising little ones, and becoming our best selves. everyone. I'm Michelle Taggy. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner and I have a background in statistics and analytics. I'm a mom to three-year-old Connor and five-month-old Ashlyn. And Ashlyn has just started eating solids in the last week and I've decided to start power pumping again five months postpartum. So I am super excited to talk to a lactation consultant today, Nina Marie Reda, and we are going to cover all sorts of troubleshooting around breastfeeding. Hi, Nina Marie. Hey, how are you, Michelle? I'm so good. So excited to have you on. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Hi, everyone. My name is Nina Marie. I am married to my best friend. I am a mother of three young children. One is four, the second is three, and my last child is two. And I love everything that has to do with maternal child health and nutrition. I am trained by the Nutritional Therapy Association as an FNTP, and I'm trained by CAPA. It's an organization for um, childbirth education and whatnot to be a certified lactation educator, a certified postpartum doula. And I was trained by a midwife to be a labor doula. Yeah. Like I said, I'm so excited to talk to you today. There's just been a lot going on um, with, I think me going back to work and other things with my baby starting to eat. I just want to give everybody else an update as they've been following along. My baby has been like a rock star eater since she was born, which was wonderful after the experience I had with my first. And she was sleeping through the night at eight weeks and it just, breastfeeding was going perfectly. Oh and then goodness. four months sleep regression kind of hit. And then I was giving her a little bit in a bottle after I breastfed her at night and she was sleeping again. And at five months, she started not sleeping again. And so that's kind of where we are right now. Like I decided to start power pumping again during the workday. And I'm getting up multiple times at night to feed her because I'm trying to stimulate my production. So I'm sure we can get into some of that. But just giving other people an update, it, it hasn't been as smooth sailing very recently with my daughter. <laughs> and I know every breastfeeding experience is different. And I'm I'm just... um yeah, I'm, I'm honestly kind of torn because I'm not sure, like, do I want to put all the stress on myself to do all the pumping and maximize production versus, you know, just giving her like supplementing with some foods or some other things. But I totally um, understand that, especially when it seems like she's so close. But I know I know at, at five months old she still really does need a lot of breast milk. <laughs> like, yeah. so That can be really tricky. Yeah. So I guess uh, let's talk, let's jump into supply. Cause I, I just had a ton of questions about supply and that's kind of what I'm talking about here too. Um, what if a woman thinks she has a low supply? How do you determine this? If, if the baby's not getting enough to eat? Um, well, I will say before I begin responding, 
everyone. I have three small children. You might hear them in the background. Thank you so much for your grace on that. Um, when a mom is concerned about low supply, I think there's a lot, there are a lot of factors that can go um, into responding to her. How old is her baby? That plays a big role. Um, because if this is like a newborn, um, then there are some more things that you want to pay attention to with a newborn. Um, because with physicians and the constant appointments and weight checks, um, like stressing out can cause her to have a low supply because she's just stressing over feeding the whole time. Um, and stress, as you know, is this hormone that just puts every other physio- physiological thing on, on the back burner. Um, so if she is coming to me and she thinks she has a low supply and has a two week old, one of the very first questions I'm going to ask her is how is, how are her baby's diapers? Does her baby pee a lot? Does her baby poop a lot? Like, are we getting regular, um, bowel movements or urination from her baby? And that can be a way for her to assure herself that baby is, uh, indeed taking in the milk that she needs. And then because that baby is still a newborn, then you want to be able to see with her physician that weight is being gained. So if weight is gaining, we know that milk is passing in. She's getting, baby's getting the calories that he or she needs. Um, and the, the like desire to um, know exactly how much can somewhat be subsided. Um, I know personally for me, it was difficult to not know. Um, and so knowing markers like by day five or six after birth, as long as baby's pooping three to five times a day or peeing three to five times a day, um, we're, we're looking at good markers for that baby. And even like other simple signals of like, you saw that there was milk in your baby's mouth. You know that milk is being transferred and coming out. You, how do your breasts feel? Um, all of those things can help a mom, uh, just like ease her mental tension, I guess. Um, and then helping to, a lot of this is just reassuring her that she can trust her body. Um, the same way that she was able to trust her body, uh, during pregnancy. Um, we, we have taken away this empowered feeling as a mother, I believe in our culture, um, where we give the experts, whoever they are, um, the authority to make decisions over things. And I'm not to say that we don't need experts or we don't need people to assist us in things, but just understanding that your intuition and your body is capable of doing what it has already done can help position her or put her a little more at ease. Um, So I guess I would start with how are diapers? How are like, do you see milk being transferred? Um, What, what kind of habits does baby have? Like is baby arching back all the time? Um, Does baby sleep all of the time? Those can be, um, signs that milk is not being transferred, arching the back after like trying to nurse his baby showing that he, he or she is frustrated. Uh, sleepy newborn is not a good thing. Like if, if the baby just doesn't want to wake up and nurse at all for hours and hours on end, that's something that shows me that baby's not getting enough milk as well. And their body just cannot take being awake because they don't have the energy to do so. Okay. I actually have a lot of follow-up questions and I apologize to everybody, but some of these are mine. (laughs) Um, Okay. So talking about knowing if the baby's getting enough milk, the the thing you said about the poop, Mm -hmm. personally, neither of my kids have pooped more often than like once a week. And okay. (laughs) Cause you have like three to five poops a day and they've always had plenty of wet diapers, but Mm -hmm. um yeah, that's something that I always look up and I'm like, wait, should I be worried about this? <laughs> so I'll give you, I'll give you personal experience too. Um, with my, my first two, they were on the like charts with pooping multiple times a day. And, and, and I'll clarify too, a poop could be as small as a quarter. Um, so it's not like this gigantic diaper full of bowel. Um, so 
even if it was something as small as a quarter, that counts as one poop that day. Um, but my third, my daughter, I remember she like was on track to be just like her older brothers for a few days after birth. And I think at like day three or four, she just stopped pooping. And then she didn't poop for almost a week, I want to say. And so by the time like day four or five had passed, I personally was getting a little concerned. But I knew the other markers to look for as well. So I knew she was peeing all the time. I knew she was getting enough milk. I knew that she was gaining weight. And so I didn't want to like psych myself into this, oh, no, something's wrong and my daughter now needs surgery. Um, So I reached out to an IBCLC at the time, uh, an international board certified lactation consultant, um, and just to like throw my thoughts at her and like I'm. I'm kind of like concerned because I know that this wasn't normal for my experience with my other children, but I'm not, I don't want to be too concerned if I don't need to be because I knew that all of these other things were happening as well. And so with the poop thing, I think those uh, with a lot of things in parenting, you can't just look at one uh, factor and you, but you have to look at the context of everything. Um, So I would say then to clarify that if, you're not pooping that much, but you have all these other things in place, then you may not have an issue. Um, and and with my daughter, like one or two days after that conversation with the IBCLC, she had like a blowout diaper. And so eventually she pooped again. Um, so does that help? Does that clarify? Yeah. No. And my son was really like once every two weeks and I kept asking the doctor and it's like, no, as long as he had those first poops and we know that the, uh, that it works, like it can get through there. He wasn't very concerned. So, um, it's hard. I like the, the piece about feeling empowered and trusting your body. It does seem a lot harder when the baby's there. Cause like, obviously the stakes are high in pregnancy, but it doesn't feel the same. Like you know, versus having this tiny helpless baby there that you have to take care of. So, um, absolutely. I I mean, you, someone else's life (laughs) is in your hands. Um, so I, I completely understand. And then throw on sleep depravity, probably not eating great. Like all of that will just give you this wonderful postpartum storm. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hopefully everyone is using my guide and eating wonderfully. (laughs) But, um, okay. So you talked more about early on, but even if you're breastfeeding, like, so once you start to introduce pumping Mm -hmm. or solids, like the, it seems like the equation kind of changed, like your milk supply gets established, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. but can you get low supply later? That's an interesting question. Um, I do know that Around the time that you start to introduce solids, yes, it will um, dip because you're not feeding, because there's that feeding that's being replaced potentially. Um, I also think, if I remember correctly, around the four or five month mark, there's a dip in some hormone um, in our body that aligns with the time that we typically introduce solids that will also affect our breast milk production. It's around the time that um, kids, babies, melatonin starts to kick in. There's a dip with us and I want to say it's estrogen. The They happen around the same time, which can affect breast milk production. Another thing to consider is around that time where we start to introduce solids, because we're not um, feeding as often, we likely start to ovulate again because breastfeeding is like suppresses ovulation. And so that can affect then breast milk production. So if you have, uh, if your period has returned, that usually can cause a dip. Likely it's only momentary for that time around ovulation, um, in your breast milk supply. And so all like there are many different things that can occur around the same time that you're introducing solids. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, that's really interesting. Cause also I was thinking like a lot of women are going back to work at 12 weeks. Mm -hmm. And for me, since, you know, we're in a quarantine, a lot of the days we're working from home um, with my baby at home with a nanny, but now the baby's away 
because the nanny's back at school. So she's at grandma's house. And I thought that might be another factor is that I spend a lot more days pumping than breastfeeding. Um, so I don't know how that plays into it, but it seems like it makes a difference. <laughs> like trying to get the amount of milk that I'm putting in her bottles. Mm-hmm. How I, there are a couple questions that come to mind. Um, how is baby being fed? How much is she being fed and how often? Maybe nine hours. So nine ounces in nine hours. Yeah, that, that seems about right. I would say, um, like up until six months, the we a baby doesn't need any more than like 36 ounces in a day. And if your baby's sleeping through the night, she's probably going to eat, she's going to eat more in the day to like sustain her at night. Um, so if you're concerned about pumping, my thoughts would be like checking the pump, checking your flange sizes, um, making sure that you're like replacing the little valve uh, membranes that can cause an issue with um, the output of milk supply. And then there, there could also be just, you may not respond well to a pump. A lot of women respond better by manually expressing their milk. Um, There are things you can do before pumping, like massaging all the way from your armpit to the bottom to like where your areola is. Um, Is it a like tense, work environment are you able to relax and like close your eyes like there are a bunch of different things that could potentially hinder output um so those are like the initial things that came to mind okay so just work on pumping more and it shouldn't reduce your overall supply if you're able to get the milk out that you need to correct okay Yeah. And I got some other advice, like look at pictures of your baby, like trying to relax and the little heating pads. Those actually felt kind (laughs) of (laughs) good. I hate to make the whole thing about myself, but can supply dip at night? Like, can you, if you're trying to get, well, I guess let's talk about schedules. Um, A lot of people have a goal to get their baby sleeping at night. Mm-hmm. So there's this kind of dichotomy between mm-hmm. schools of thought that want to enforce a schedule versus feeding the baby on demand. Mm-hmm. And I feel like maybe there's a happy medium somewhere in there, but I'm curious how that all works with milk supply. And um, like if you're not feeding overnight, I feel like you're not stimulating production. Yeah. So if you're planning to exclusively breastfeed, nighttime is the time where your body produces the most milk. <laughs> um, so if if you're wanting your baby to sleep, uh, well, full disclosure, I don't think that an infant should be put on a schedule um, if the baby is being breastfed. Um if you are formula feeding, then that might be possible because you're able to control, I guess, input and output. If you're bottle feeding, you're still going to have to be, but also, but using breast milk. So if you're exclusively pumping, you're going to have to get up and pump in the middle of the night. There's, I don't think there's any way you can get around not pumping if you're exclusively pumping at night. Um, if you want to continue to exclusively breastfeed your baby. Um, so, so it, it, I guess it depends on what your goal is. If your goal is you want to be able to sleep through the night, then potentially putting a schedule and supplementing will be where you end up. Um, or if you're able, to, I don't know, to hire someone to like wake you up in the middle of the night and deal with the baby f- apart from feeding, um, that's always possible as well. But schedules work only if you're in my, I mean, I, I, in my experience and in people that I know, anyone who has exclusively breastfed were not sleeping through the night quickly, for sure not with a newborn. Um, I think most of the, the earliest I have seen has been like eight, nine, maybe 12 weeks. Um, so if you're going to do a schedule, if you want to do a schedule, you could do that probably around the like two or three month mark if you're breastfeeding. 
um, to try if you're trying to like night wean. But if it's during the day, I, I wouldn't recommend it. So part of me, I, I can't really give advice on how to put someone on the schedule. If I have a client who wants to utilize a schedule, I know that I would not be able to support that before two or three months of age, unless like I'm there overnight with them and able to care for the baby and feed the baby while they sleep. Because I think most of the time people want to schedule because they want to sleep through the night. And we have to understand that babies don't have an internal clock before three to four months of age. Um, And so if you are trying to just sleep through the night, a newborn will not allow for you to do that. Um, I, I The only way that my husband and I got uh, were able to sleep enough, it wasn't a ton, but enough, was because we, we personally co-slept. We bed shared. We have a king size bed and it was just, we were able to do that. Um, and that's how we were able to gain more sleep. Um, but uh, does that answer? I feel like I'm going on a rant now. No, I think that's good because my son, pretty much I was exclusively pumping. Mm-hmm. So he slept through the night pretty well, but I was still waking up to pump. Mm-hmm. And like I said, my daughter slept through the night at like eight weeks, but that stopped. And I, I kind of think it has something to do with she's trying to stimulate my milk supply because it's dipping. Mm-hmm. It could be. Um, she's very smart. Yes, she is. It's it's wonderful. <laughs> but yeah, and we, we've had these discussions. We ultimately had to decide like, well, we could supplement with formula if we really want to sleep more. And I decided, no, I really want to, you know, go through the work to stimulate my milk. Um, as long as it's not too much, I'm, I'm going to give myself permission to uh, but I am, I'm leaving my job. It's, I'm going to have less stress soon and can tolerate the waking up at night. Um, I do not judge anybody who wants to, fo- to supplement with formula um, after, <laughs> after the experiences I've had, but I did decide that I want to keep exclusively breastfeeding. So I'm going to be okay with waking up at night. <laughs> I appreciate you stating that you don't judge anyone who formula feeds. I don't either. I, I formula fed the my first and second for the first week I think as I was trying to figure out breastfeeding like that's a whole nother story but being being able to um know that you didn't fail as a mother um is important because I know that you know Instagram and Pinterest makes breastfeeding look so easy when mom is sitting in a valley of sunflowers (laughs) But it's not. It's hard, hard work. Yes. No, totally. And it's, it's, yeah, there's nothing wrong with you if it's not working. It's, it's crazy too. Like nobody tells you this before you have a baby and then you have a baby and you go through all these struggles and then everybody's like, oh my God, that happened to me too. That happened to me too. I'm like, why did I, why have I never heard of this before? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. So. So you go through it. Yeah. And, but right now I'm at a, I'm at a mental state where I can handle the waking up at night and I can handle the pumping more during the day. So I'm going to do that, but, um, that's not necessarily the best choice to like make it work at all costs. Mm-hmm. So, um, well, let's talk back about early days again. So do you have advice for women in the first weeks? Like, is it normal for breastfeeding to hurt? Like if you're confused, if it's working, um, I know we talked about the wet diapers and that, but do you have more advice on that? Yeah. So during your last trimester of pregnancy, if you have a community of people around you, I'm, I'm certain they're all telling you, if you need anything, just let me know, write down their name, If you don't like, like put it down somewhere, like, okay, I'm going to add you to my list of people, make a list of these people who said, I will help you. And in the, in the first couple of weeks, utilize them as much as possible. Um, they made the offer. I'm, I, it would be crazy to me for someone to make the offer and not mean it. Um, so like assign 
different jobs. I'll get to the breastfeeding does it hurt part, I promise. But just like this, this is important for breastfeeding. If you have others around you supporting you, they're able to um, do the work in your home that needs to be done on a regular basis so that you don't have to. Um, so getting someone to come over once a week to do your laundry, whether that's your mother, mother-in-law, or friend from down the street, whoever, let them into your home to do that. Let them do the laundry for you and tell them, I just need you to do this. I may not be able to talk to you at all. Um, I might be sleeping the whole time, whatever. But uh, make those kinds of plans so that you're you're able to then concentrate on bonding with your baby, like getting to know your baby's cues, um, resting and recovering, and all of that by alleviating those ki- types of jobs from your plate, you can focus and understand and enjoy breastfeeding more. Um, so does should breastfeeding hurt? I think I want to define hurt a little bit. Um, it It is normal for there to be sensitivity at the initial latch. Um, but if you are like white knuckling the entire time, absolutely not. Like breastfeeding should not be painful. Cracked nipples, bleeding nipples, all of those things should be avoided and can be avoided. The moment that you feel pain and the pain's not going away, it's not just that initial latch on, then you're going to want to unlatch that baby. And there are two things that you can do to unlatch a baby. You can stick your pinky at the like corner of the mouth to like, uh, like get the suction off, like break the suction that they have that latch, or you can like take their top lip and with your index finger, whatever finger, just pull it upward, flange it more. And that will also just release the latch as well. Um, and then you're going to want to try again. So there are a bunch of different things or signs that, um, can help or for a good latch. So a good latch, there's no pain, a good latch. There's more of your areola that's taken in with the lower jaw than with the top. So you want your baby's chin to touch your breast, um, before any other part of his or her, his or her face and you don't want necessarily the nose to be touching the breast like you you want um baby's chin upward away from his or her chest the lower lip, sh- lip should not be visible to you the upper lip is neutral flanged um and flanged is like puckered i guess would be a great way in case you've never heard that term before um while baby's nursing ears can like wiggle a little with the suckle. They slightly move back and forth because the jaws, because of the jaws movement. Um, your baby's cheeks should not be sucked in. Um, kind of like when you make a fishy face to make the fish lips and their cheeks get in your baby's cheeks should not do that. Your baby should be relaxed. And then milk is being transferred. And you note that because you might feel some uterine cramps. So, breastfeeding, uh, because it releases oxytocin will be, um, will then cause your uterus to cramp up because that's what helps it to shrink back to pre-pregnancy size. Um, if you are a first time mama, you may not feel that. And then you can see or hear your baby swallowing. Um, so often a lot of moms or, or people who are helping a mom will say, you can hear your baby swallow and it'll sound like like an X sound. Um, but I, sometimes you don't hear it. So I like to pay attention to baby's jaw. Um, and baby's jaw with a good latch will have these big wide drops. And that's how you see a baby is swallowing. Um, and then like, so all of, I say all of these things that you understand how, or what to look for in a good latch. And pain is definitely not one of them. So if you're feeling pain, one of these other things could be the reason. It's called breastfeeding, not nipple feeding. So the breast is what's getting into the mouth because the tongue, the jaw, it's massaging the different um, alveoli to like release the milk. It's stimulating those little ducts to release milk. And so if there's pain, it's likely a shallow latch. The 
the baby, your nipple is supposed to hit the soft palate of your mouth, of baby's mouth, I should say. So if you take your tongue right now and put it at the back of your teeth, you can feel uh, of the of your the roof of your mouth. You can feel your hard palate. And then you slide your tongue back, 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 back. And then you'll feel the soft palate. Your nipple is going to go into baby's mouth that far. And so pain likely means it's not as far as it needs to be. We need to figure out what is going on here that isn't allowing for that latch to be deep enough and causing this pain. Does that help? Oh my gosh. I I wish I had this when I had my son because the information that Google gives you is not great. <laughs> um, and my son too. <laughs> yeah. It's so, this is like all the things I learned because my son I actually, both of my kids have tongue ties, I've found mm-hmm. out, but my son had one that was affecting his feeding mm-hmm. and I had cracked nipples, bleeding, his lips did not flange out. So that's kind of like where you can like see the inside of the lips, like it puckers out, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, I could never really feel my letdown. And when he would feed, it would be like an hour. <laughs> so I think he just wasn't, it was like, you're feeding every two and a half hours, but it took an hour. So it's like, I was feeding half the time. (laughs) So, um, so I think these are all like in retrospect, I'm like, well, I should have known something was wrong, but I didn't know any of these things. So, um, but a lot of the information I got online was like, oh yeah, it's normal for it to hurt in the beginning. And I was just like, I can power through. I am so strong. And I'd be like crying every time he fed. Oh no. Yeah. You don't, I don't know. It's hard. It's hard. And I love the thing you said about the list. I had this, I have this postpartum journal and it asks you these things. It's like, before you have the baby, it's like, who will you call when things like get bad? Who will you call when you have trouble with breastfeeding? Who will you call? And it like made you Mm -hmm. put all those things down. Oh, that's amazing. I wish one, I wish we didn't have to have a list, right? (laughs) I wish it was just natural for women to be supported in their postpartum time period. But knowing that that isn't the case, like if anyone who's listening to this ever can take one thing away. It's please involve your community. And and as a first time mom, I remember like you wanted to do things. You, like, I don't know. There, I, I won't generalize. I know that there are women who are not like me. But personally, I wanted to do things. I didn't want. I wanted to like do it myself. I can be the mom. Um, I I I see these strong women everywhere who can work and 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 have, be a stay at home mom or and be a mother and. And all these things. And, you know, pregnancy, labor, and delivery, you are both at your strongest and at your weakest. And it's an amazing place to be. Like, you get to see how strong you are. Um, And there's this, like, beautiful tension. (laughs) But you're also extremely weak. Like, something can easily go wrong or you, you can't defend yourself. Like you, there, there's so much that you have to depend on others for. And then once that baby is born, um, you, you are much weaker, like your body needs to restabilize. Um, and even if you feel really good, um, you can easily overextend yourself. And so, it's so important, even in those moments where you feel like you don't need help in the first five, six, eight weeks after having a baby, allowing for others to come in and be a part of your community will just give you a great, firm foundation for mothering. Um, and it allows for much more care. Like we don't, we don't need to be this independent woman if, if it's not necessary in that time. Um, so if you can, as much as possible, I definitely would recommend to utilize your people. Um, they are there to help you. And those who are saying, I, 
I'm there if you need me. Like, make a mental note. This person said they'll be there. And if it's two in the morning, like I always tell a bunch of moms, like if it's two in the morning and you're crying or you need anything, please call me. My phone is always on. Um, because I, I remember being the mom at two in the morning, crying myself for hours and not knowing who to call or what to do. And, um, so I position myself to be of service to other mothers in that place or in that space because it was so hard and it's so much easier to go through the hard when you have a partner or, or a people, um, than to do it by yourself. I love that you phrased it like allowing people in because, but like moms want to help other new moms. Like mm-hmm. it's just, <laughs> I'm, maybe I shouldn't speak for everybody, but I feel like I didn't have a village when I had my first kid. And part of that is like, when you have your first kid, maybe your other friends haven't had kids yet. And now I'm seeking out other moms that have kids because I want my kid to be friends with them. But um, think outside the box. If you feel like you don't even, even providers, like I have my team now, like I know who to call with everything, but I didn't have that with my first. It was like my son's pediatrician that I was checking in with or, um, and my midwife, she was wonderful, but she wasn't an expert in all these areas. So, Uh, but yeah, even reach out to somebody like me or Nina Marie, and we'll at least help you get pointed in the right direction. Um, so think outside the box. Maybe it's not your best friend. Maybe it's reaching out to somebody online who's putting out content around this and just like, I don't know where to go, but I know I need help and we will help you. (laughs) I, I get so many DMS on Instagram and I tell them all the time, like I, like I don't, there are, there are many people who will, Oh, please go book a consultation. Whatever. Like I, that doesn't, I don't care for that. There are women who need help right now. And they, I get messages daily asking me questions daily. And I, I am here to serve and my intellect, my knowledge isn't, it's, it's not purely for me. Um, I want to share it. I want to share what I know in order to either help a woman who is going through what I went through or to help her not go through what I went through. So please, yes, reach out to Michelle. She can point you in my direction if needed. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I'll just get into a few of the other questions um, that I got. So what about mastitis? What, how can you tell if this is coming on and what advice do you have about it? Okay. So mastitis is inflammation of breast tissue and that can be caused by a few things. Sometimes it can be caused by allergies. Um, it can be caused because you have an infection somewhere else in your body. Uh, it's generally caused by an obstruction to milk removal. So like plug ducts are, you can, you can get a plugged duct that turns into mastitis, and that's because the milk is not being removed. Um, some signs or symptoms are that you, you when you express your milk, it might look lumpy or gelatinous. Um, your baby might refuse your breast because milk may be retaining sodium chloride, so it might taste salty to your baby. Um, and then milk, your milk might be accompanied with blood pus pus or mucus. That's one of the signs or symptoms. And then causes there, there could be, there's a list of causes. You can have milk stasis. So that just means that you're, you have restrict restricted flow. It's just stagnant engorgement because of the plug duck. Uh, if you do infrequent or skipped feedings, if you have too much pressure on the milk duck, like a bra or tight clothing or sleeping on your stomach, um, inflammation in your body because of an injury elsewhere or a bacterial or yeast infection. If you're stressing, if you're tired, if your system, your immune system is weak, which postpartum, your immune system is weak. Um, if you had a prolonged hospital stay because you were likely exposed to bacteria, or if you've had a history of mastitis before, like all of these things can be a reason why mastitis comes on. Um, but there's a few things that could be done for treatment. Um, so if you suspect that you have a plug duck, 
Um, some of the things that I mentioned here would be good for you, but I definitely would reach out to an IBCLC um, or a physician who knows what mastitis is and can support breastfeeding because you may potentially need antibiotics, um, which is hard <laughs> um, personally for me to like say. I, I'm I try to stay away from antibiotics as much as possible, but I'm not foolish enough to believe that it, they should never be used. Um, so there is a point with mastitis where you may need to go on antibiotics for whatever it is they prescribe for you. Um, but there are things that you can do, like making sure that you are adequately hydrated and adequately removing milk. Um, so I think earlier you mentioned pumping. I, I want to say that you don't want to introduce pumping too early after birth um, because you may. So, so early on after birth, you are signaling to your body that it needs to produce a certain amount of milk to sustain your baby. And if you are pumping immediately after birth, as well as breastfeeding on demand, you can create an oversupply, which when you start to slow down and not need the pumping or not want to pump anymore, can, can pose some problems potentially. Um, which would cause plug ducts um, or engorgement. And then you want to make sure that you are resting. So rest is really important, continuing milk expression, as I said. And then there are different foods that you can consume to help support your immune system. Um, for milk removal in particular, you want to check your baby's latch um, make sure that baby's getting a deep enough latch so that milk can be removed properly. Um, another thing that has been like shared is dangled nursing. So you're literally on all fours and your baby's underneath you and you are dangling your breast over them and having them feed that way because gravity will pull it out well. Um, you can massage your breast. And I will say, if you know you have a plugged duck, think of that the way that you have a knot in your hair. You don't start combing out a knot above at the at your scalp. You start underneath it and you work your way up to where the knot is and it's much easier to untangle. And so it's very similar with a plug duck. So if you know where it is, start beneath it with your massaging and work your way up to that plug duck and it can be uh, easier to unplug it. Um, you can also use warm compresses uh, that can help to loosen up where, wherever there might be some tightness or some plugs, a hot shower and bath. I think one of the things I used to do with my littles when they were getting a cold was I would nurse them in the in a hot shower. Um, and I and this would be a same recommendation for like um, mastitis as well. Like nursing in a hot shower, not only are you removing milk, but the hot shower bath can help stimulate and, and help to like get the plugged duct opening. Um, and then you might have to treat damaged nipples if there were some issues with like nipples, because if you have a damaged nipple and bacterial that you are exposed to bacteria that can then lead to uh, mastitis as well, because it can be a bacterial infection. Um, but I, I would say like the moment you feel like there might be some tension, tightness, uh, pain, pressure. Sometimes it's like red at, at the site. You see your skin is red or inflamed or hot as well. Um, it, the moment that you see those things, you want to jump on it and and try to nip it at the butt because um, if you let this get too far, you can you can become really ill because it'll become an infection. Yeah, that's so good because I've had that a few times where it's just – uh, a sensitive spot that you kind of have to massage out and, you know, fade the baby a little extra. Mm -hmm. But I did get the fever oh. once. Um, and basically, and this is anecdotal, this is not medical advice at all. But what my midwife told me was, you can give it 24 hours. If you still have a fever, you're going on antibiotics. Mm -hmm. So it was just a ton of water, sweating it out, you know, that all the things, the dangle feeding, just like trying to loosen it. And it did, it, it didn't last more than 24 hours. So I didn't have to do the antibiotics, which I was happy to, but it was still pretty, 
it's worth trying to work it out before you get the fever. <laughs> it's worth it. <laughs> so again, anecdotal, but um, we've been there. So then, yeah, with what you were saying about the starting pumping, that was something I was really interested in. When do you recommend that? Um, so I guess it depends on what the goal is. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. my go-to answer for many things. So if mom is returning to work and she needs to build up a stash, um, how soon is she returning to work? Um, if she gets the full three months, then I would do the same recommendation for anyone else with introducing a bottle. I would wait at least four weeks, but not more than six weeks. Um, I, I've from what I've read and people's experiences, that's like the sweet spot with bottle introduction. Um, there are some babies who have absolutely no problem at day one and going back and forth from there on out. Um, that was my son. My son had no problem going back and forth between bottle and me, my firstborn. Um, but my daughter is a completely different <laughs> story. I Oh, man. Uh, so I would say weeks four to six is a good place to introduce um, a bottle. And in that case, if you have four to six weeks and you're not going anywhere and you don't need to build up a stash because you're returning to work, I would start pumping at that four to six week mark when you want to introduce a bottle. Um, and then if you are able to take a full three months at least or whatever, you, the stash that you need for baby is just enough to get them through day one and you pump what you have that day while you're away and give that to them the next day. I pers- that's like a the bare minimum. I personally like when I I returned to work with my first and my third temporarily. Um and I like to have 3 or 4 days like already stashed just in case. Um and there were times I just I wanted to go out to the grocery store or something and didn't want to have to worry about getting back home in a certain amount of time. Um, but if, if you are, so, so again, depending on the goal, if, if you're going to be a stay at home mom forever and are never planning to return to work, then I wouldn't start pumping before that four to six week mark. And even then, like if you're not returning to work, you could hand express, you don't need to pump and just to try to get, uh, your baby to like nurse or feed from a bottle. Um, but if you are, then your timeline might be shorter. So if you have to return to work at six weeks, which is what I did with my first, um, I pumped start, I think I started pumping at four. Um, and then I just saved everything for the the week six when I returned and then I was pumping at work. Um, with my daughter, however, I will I will share this experience as well because it may happen to someone else. I I wasn't ever planning to return to work after I left work permanently with my first. And with my third, my daughter, this, uh, some things came up where I needed to return to work. And she was about six months at that time. And we had never introduced a bottle because we never thought we would need to. <laughs> she, Oh, she was like five, five or six months. And so she still was exclusively breastfed. We were just beginning to introduce solids and we had a terrible time with her and a bottle. Like she refused and we bought all the expensive, just like the breast bottle or nipple or whatever. And we had this like I don't know, bag of different bottles to try to get my daughter to nurse. I, I mean, bottle feed. I left the house and left her for hours so that my husband would deal with her. So she didn't know, so she knew I wasn't there and nothing, absolutely nothing worked. And so I was blessed enough to like literally work a three minute drive away from where her daycare was. And so I would get there early I would nurse her before I left and then I would drive there on my lunch break, nurse her on my lunch break. And then I would get there to pick her up, nurse her before I left again. And it was so much work. And then one day (laughs) I gave one of the like, um, daycare workers, 
a bottle of milk that I had just pumped. Like I pumped it at work and I was there on my lunch break. And so I was like, here's milk that I just pumped. And it was in a Medela bottle. And she just threw one of those cheapy, like dollar store looking nipples from Medela on their really cheap bottles. And my daughter took it. So all that to say, sometimes bottle refusal might be nipple refusal and you don't need to go and buy the expensive things. She might just want the most basic looking nipple ever or he. Um, And just in case, you may want to introduce bottle feeding early, even if you don't anticipate leaving your child at all. But another thing you can do if bottle feeding just does not work is you can cup feed or you can syringe feed. Like there are many other ways that your baby can be fed. It's not just bottle or breast. Um, And I know with my daughter, one of the things that I tried with her to try to get her on a bottle was syringe feeding. So I like let her suck on my finger while I syringed milk into her mouth um, and then tried to like swap it with the nipple. None of that worked, but all that to say... (laughs) There, there are options if your baby refuses. You can cup feed. You can uh, spoon feed. There, there are things. Yeah, we did the cup. Uh, I supplemented formula for a little while with my son, just a couple ounces a day, but it was in a cup. Um, so it's messy, but it works. <laughs> Yeah. And then with my daughter, we I did. Um, I, I just felt like I had tra- trauma from my son with all the pumping and, you know, exclusive pumping for that amount of time. Um, and I just wasn't ready and it was going so well. So I, I waited until six weeks actually. So I'm glad I made that up. <laughs> I'm just like, well, I don't want my supply to be established. Um, so I just started taking out like one ounce a day in the morning and I'm like, okay, if I do this every day for six more weeks, I'll have enough to get, mm-hmm. you know, the couple days or whatever you need. So I was, I tried to introduce pumping and bottle feeding in the least stressful way possible. The HAPA is also a great tool for anyone who may want to utilize that while you're nursing on one side, you use this mm-hmm. little HAPA cup suction thing and it'll collect any milk from the other side. And then by the end of the day, you might have a couple ounces. It's wonderful. Yeah, that's a good option. I've done so much more sideline nursing with my second. And I feel like I found that too late with my, (laughs) with my first. So I'm like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be collecting anything on the other side. I just want to lay down. (laughs) (laughs) Take a nap. (laughs) Totally. It's, it's amazing. Um, Okay. Last question I got. Um, what about when you're starting to wean? Hmm. Do you have advice around the hormonal changes for weaning or doing it slowly or anything you have to say about that? Yeah. So I guess it depends on the age of baby. Um, if you're weaning like me, I just weaned my daughter last week. She is past two years old. Um, it just became, a, I don't know, like a, a privacy issue with her. Like my body was hers and she didn't distinguish that I can say no. Um, and I, and I, I am just mentally done with breastfeeding and have been for a while. I even tried to wean her back in January. Um, but then I went to my lactation educator training and I was like, no, breastfeeding is the best thing ever. Why would I try to wean? Um, anyway, that's to say, so depending on the age can, can play a factor. So if it's a two-year-old, like my daughter is, um, then you can, you can make statements to your baby or your toddler, I should say, and have conversations and, and start to establish, um, guidelines on privacy and whatnot. But if it's like a five or six month old and you're just done or a year, whatever it might be, um, I, depending on like what you're trying to wean from, are you just trying to night wean? Are you trying to wean entirely? Again, what is the goal here? Is it simply because you want to sleep for the night and you're tired of having to wake up two to three times? Um, Then depending on baby's age, you might be able to, you might be able to do that. If, if baby's old enough to have solids introduced, or if you're comfortable and want to supplement, then night weaning might be perfectly fine. Um, at like five, six months. If you're trying to night wean at eight weeks um, or four weeks, then that 
that may not be something you should do. <laughs> I, I can't recommend that at all. Um, so if baby's old enough, you can start to establish rules. Um, I know that one mom, I know as she was weaning, she, she would like use a timer and sl- she would decrease the time that baby was able to nurse until there was no more time. Um, so there are different things that you could do and, and communicate with your baby, your bit, your infant, your toddler, like they understand and their brains are making all of these amazing, like, um, mapping things out with language and whatnot. Like they, they're able to understand you. Um, and so if you can say, no, we're done for today. No, not right now. Or wait until we get home. Having those conversations, your baby can understand and establishing those like boundaries or guidelines. Um, but if, if you've made it to introduction of food, um, I think it'll be easier to wean. My second, my son, he self-weaned at, I want to say 11 months, like right before his first birthday. And then my firstborn, he nursed for only seven months. Um, At seven months, he stopped nursing. I became pregnant with my second. And he also had had um, cranial surgery. So it was really hard for me to like hold and support him with his incision and breastfeed. And so we just bottle fed after that. Um, but as far as like stopping the breastfeeding relationship, if you're at five or six months and you're just done, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, mom has to be mentally and emotionally, um, what's the word I want to use? Like committed. And if she's not mentally and emotionally committed, that doesn't mean that her body needs to stay committed. Um, it's really difficult to have your body be for someone else all of the time. Um, I, there are times now (laughs) where I'm like, can someone just like all of you, can you just stop touching me? Like, can I, can I not be touched for a moment? Um, and no one is breastfeeding anymore. And so, uh, all there, there are many different things that can be involved in why you choose to wean. And there's, no reason that you shouldn't. Um, so back to my original answer, (laughs) like what's the goal? Why is it? How do we establish that? And I think, um, having a conversation with your toddler, if it's a toddler is helpful. Um, and, and utilizing small things like, okay, we'll do this for another day, or we're only going to do it at nighttime or only in the morning when you wake up, whatever it is, establish those boundaries. And that's healthy for, your toddler to understand that there are, there are boundaries in the world. Um, and it starts with something as simple as we're going to wean. I, I just love your balanced approach so much that, um, cause I do, I, I've seen a lot of people that are so polarizing, like you must breastfeed or, um, you know, it's, and it's just like, what, whatever works for your family is what's best. Absolutely. <laughs> if it works, I'm going to say, you know, if you like it, then keep breastfeeding because it's, it's good for everybody. But <laughs> if you just can't, then. Yeah. I've, I've been done with breastfeeding like mentally for <laughs> off and on for the last 10 months. Like there will be one day where I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. And at some point this month, I was like, I officially don't want to do this anymore. And so I would not offer my daughter at all. And she would like forget for a little bit and, so in a week, today was the first time she asked since last week. And I, I was just like, nope, there's there's no more leche, honey. Sorry, we're done. Okay. Yeah. And it's um yeah, I'm I'm not done. <laughs> like <laughs> but I I've gotten frustrated with it a couple of times and it's fine. It's fine. Um Ooh. I just I don't want it to be a chore and it 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 is working for my family with this baby. And I'm very conscious of that. And I encourage that to all women. If they're talking about increasing their supply, it's like, like, okay, I'll give you some tips, but also know that it's okay if you don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I it's a lot of work, the power pumping and the supplements and yeah. the. 
Absolutely. But I, I would say that don't make a decision out of the emotion of a moment. Um, so make the decision after a day or two or something like, so that, you know, for sure, for sure, this is, this is it. Does that make sense? No, I love that you said that. Cause I almost quit with my son and I just got this message from somebody in a Facebook group that like, I've gone through this with the ties and the feeding troubles and it did get a little bit better. And it's like, you know, and it wasn't somebody trying to tell me what to do. It was just like enough to like, to, to keep it going. And, you know, yeah, totally. Like give it a few days (laughs) and then if you still want to quit, then quit. Yeah. Because your emotions are everywhere. (laughs) Obviously. (laughs) Motherhood is everywhere. Yeah, this was so great. I learned a lot and I feel like every first time mom should really be getting this information because the breastfeeding classes that we take just aren't, it's like positions and it's just not a lot of the mm-hmm. um, practical side of it. So thank you so much. Where can people find you? Um, you can find me on Instagram at mama wheel and it is exactly how it sp- sounds. Um, my last name translated into English is wheel. So mama wheel. Awesome. Well, I am Michelle and you can find me at Michelle Taggy underscore NTP on Instagram. And you can go to my website, michelletaggy.com and talk to everybody next week. <laughs>